Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Shap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Stevens Incorporated, an independent financial services firm with the freedom to focus on what matters most. Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. We partner with you to deliver high-yield results by managing, developing, and investing in top-quality hospitality assets. And now, from the short grass, here is your host, Trey Shap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am your host, Trey Shap. The BMW Championship, won by Patrick Cantlay. It's the first time on the PGA Tour in the FedEx Cup playoffs that a player has defended his championship. Patrick won last year the BMW Championship, and he won it this year by one shot over Scott Stallings. Patrick shot a final round two under par to finish 14 under for the tournament. Scotty Scheffler and Xander Schauffele finished tied for third. Scotty Scheffler, however, will go into the Tour Championship at Eastlake in Atlanta at 10 under par a two-shot lead over Patrick Cantlay, who sits second in the FedEx Cup standings. Will Zalatoris was in third place in the FedEx Cup standings, but has had to withdraw from the Tour Championship with two herniated discs that he suffered at the BMW Championship last week. Xander Shoffley is in fourth at six under par, and Sam Burns is fifth on the points list, and he will start the tournament at minus five. Here is the winner, Patrick Cantlay, of the BMW Championships on a feat that has never been done before and the potential to do it again if he can win the Tour Championship at Eastlake. He would win the FedEx Cup in back-to-back seasons. I think every time you know, I've tried to defend, I don't think I've been able to do it, but it's something that you definitely circle on your calendar. It's something you want to do. And these golf courses, like I said earlier this week, um, reminded me a lot of each other. And, um, you know, I was glad not to go six holes in the playoff today. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a really good spot. Um, it'll be a little different of a type of a challenge this year, obviously being two behind Scotty. Um, he's played a lot of great golf this year, so I expect the same. Uh, but it's a golf course I really like, and I'm looking forward to the challenge. The Tour Championship will be played over four days at East Lake. Only 30 players there, and there is no cut. NBC has the coverage over the weekend of the Tour Championship there at Eastlake. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels, one of our great sponsors here on From the Short Grass. You can find them on the web at bphotels.com. They are the people to go to when it comes to hotel property management. Blair Allen, Matthew Allen, Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. Find them on the web at bphotels.com. Coming up on From the Short Grass, I have a Zoom interview with Lucas Wald, one of the top 100 instructors in the game of golf in the United States. You will not want to miss this. If you are a beginner or someone that struggles with the game of golf, Lucas is the guy you need to 
tap into. He can help you with your golf swing, and he's coming up after the break. Stay with us. This is Thomas Blackman of Blackman Auctions. You all know by now I'm not a good golfer, but my son loves the game and he and I have been playing more. I've got my score down to, I've quit playing a scramble on every hole. I'm using the bunker rake much less than I used to. And a lot of the time I hit my drives past the women's tee box. All of my success in golf can directly be tied to me listening to From the Short Grass. Without it, I would not be the golfer I am today. Trey, you owe me 20 bucks for that. Trey knows golf. I know auctions. Come see us at BlackmanAuctions.com. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time Time you visit El Dorado. Welcome back to this edition of From the Short Grass. Lucas Wald is one of the top 100 instructors in the country in the game of golf. He was raised in Atkins, Arkansas, turned pro for a little while, and then decided that the tour life was not for him. You're going to learn a whole lot more about Lucas Wald in my Zoom interview with him right now. On the tee. Lucas Wald. Lucas, thanks for joining me on From the Short Grass. Man, you're big time now. From when you just started, I mean, you're you're out in LA in your studio, and people are flying from all over the country to come see you, and hopefully, you can help them with their golf swings. I love it. That's what that's what I'm here to do. My life's work, Trey. Uh, <laughs> when did you get started with the game of golf? Do you remember the first time you picked up a golf club? Yeah, my dad got me started. I, you know, I was a baseball kid growing up. I I didn't start golf until about age 13. Um, And I just started, I got hooked by going uh, just on the weekends to play golf courses around the state of Arkansas. We're from Arkansas, you and I. Um, But uh, yeah, just from my dad going with his buddies and I transitioned uh, from baseball to golf full time and, you know, got got a scholarship to play there in Arkansas and turned professional shortly thereafter. High school golf. What was it like for you? You know, small school. I, I small town Atkins High School. Um, there was maybe like four of us that played, so you know there wasn't a lot of not a lot of coaching, uh, not a lot of feedback. It was sort of you know just doing things on your own. And uh, you know, from there I went to Arkansas. I got a scholarship to play to Arkansas Tech. Uh, great four years. Coach Faulkner uh, was my coach. Awesome guy. Um, yeah, graduated and uh, turned professional, and uh, the rest is history. But <laughs> there was a lot of lot of struggle in between, <laughs> Trey, for sure. Yeah. Have you kept up with the Wonder Boys? Did you see what Luke Calcaterra was yeah. able to do winning the national championship <laughs> last did, year? I did. I did. We texted, and um, he was uh, inquiring about the UCA job af- after you know he, his win. And I think he moved to what North Alabama. Yes. Uh, just just recently. I did. Awesome. Super, super stoked for Luke and his family. North Alabama is a good, good place to be. So you turn professional. That's a tough, tough ask for someone. Is it not to try and make it to the PGA Tour? It is. And, my, you know, I'm an instructor now, as you pointed out earlier, but my you know, my journey started as a player. I, I did not want to be a golf instructor. I wanted to be a, a PGA Tour player. And, um, you know, I played pretty good on the mini tours. I 
I won a state open there in Arkansas or at Burns Park. You you might have played uh, yeah. 2005, I believe, way back, way yeah. back when. Were you were you in the field 2005? I, I might have been, but man, that was so long ago. I'd have to go back and look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, after that, I I, I did play a few PGA Tour events. I, I actually played in the St. Jude uh, Classic, um, and I I remember my caddy when we went to the range at the St. Jude. Day one, I was just playing a practice round, and Davis Love the Third was was next to me. My caddy put my balls literally right next to Davis Love, and I just remember watching him hit and just being like, "Ooh, you know, I I don't know if I can compete with this." <laughs> you know, it was next level ball striking, Trey, and that sort of prompted me. You know, when I stopped playing full time in two thousand nine, you know, a lot of that stuff that I had witnessed playing growing up, playing with John Daly playing with other good players around the state, you know, I realized that I was not moving the way they moved. And so when I didn't have the balance sort of competing full time with working on my swing, I was able to sort of figure out what these uh, best swings of, of the legends throughout the history did. How did you do that? What did you do? Did you look at a lot of video? Did you look at them in person to try and figure out where the best swings come from? Video mostly, you know, I, like I said, with John Daly growing up, I used to uh, sit behind him and watch him hit balls and ask him, you know, Hey, you know, JD, what are you doing? And, you know, he really couldn't tell me Trey because he learned as a kid by uh, his dad gave him a cutout sequence of Jack Nicholas and just said, Hey, do this. And, you know, when we learn something as a kid, it sticks and we can't really consciously describe what we're doing, but we can do it. Right. So what I did I went back and collected video of the best swings and tried to figure out the commonalities. Okay. So even starting, we went way back early 1900s. What did say McDonald Smith have in common with Ben Hogan in the forties? What did Hogan have in common with Nicholas in the sixties? You know, looking at Sneed, Hogan, uh, Palmer, you know, seventies, Johnny Miller, Tom Watson, and then obviously Tiger in the 90s and 2000s. And then, you know, the current guys, Roy McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, JT. You know, what were their commonalities to all these great swings? You know, both men and women. You know, we went back, look, Mickey Wright back back in the day, 60s, awesome swing. In fact, Hogan said Mickey Wright might have had the best swing he'd ever seen. So, you know, it's not just uh, the guys that we looked at. You know, Louis Suggs, Mickey Wright, Patty Bird. Um, you know, so I studied it all. You know, we, we compiled probably... 3,000 or so swings. Um, and I, I tried to lay out the blueprint and look at the commonalities. Was there a core engine to all these great swings? And it turns out there is. And that's and that's what I focused on from there on, trying to train myself both how to do that and then ultimately teach others. I'm sure you've seen some bad swings, uh, whether it be yes. from a pro-am or just people coming to see you to try and work on their swings. Is there something that a bad swing has in common with other bad swings? Yes. I mean, I see all kinds of swings. Um, for the most part, I think restriction, uh, being told that less moving parts is better, will it make, make the person hit the ball straighter? Um, and that just can't be further from the truth. When you look at Nicholas or Sneed or Hogan or Gary Player, there's a lot of movement. Now, the movement needs to be done properly, but I think it, you know your listeners – don't be scared to turn your hips on the backswing. I mean, that's one thing that's just a simple turn your hips. Let the left heel come up in the air. Put the left knee, if you're a righty, right-handed golfer, let the left knee come behind the ball. You know, if you look at you know Nicholas and Sneed and 
you know, Arnold Palmer, Mickey Wright. I mean, they had a full unrestricted turn. How have club manufacturers helped those high handicap players? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, in fact, I you know, if you look at the history right now, the the scores, the average scores haven't really gone down that much, even with the advance of technology. Um, definitely the you know the technology allows the the amateur to hit it farther i mean the ball spins less uh it jumps off the face um uh, but you know they've also made the golf courses longer too um but i think again just like nothing uh, out of the ordinary other than to say it's lighter the equipment's lighter uh the ball speeds are greater the golf ball you know when they went to the pro v1 in 2001 there was a huge spike in distance um mm -hmm. if you look back at the at the data you know, you went from basically PJ Tour players averaging 260 to 290, like in a span of a year. So we've looked at that data before, but just amazing what the advent of the technology behind the, the Pro V1 did for uh, distance. Yeah, a lot of people think that, well, it's it's the club or it's the ball, but in reality, it's really the player, is it not? I mean, 100%. Ben Hogan... 19 i believe it's 1941 north and south which at that time was a major he played that golf course straight at 6900 yards you know with that equipment and hit 17 greens in regulation and we're talking these guys are hitting one irons off par threes and you know three irons in the par fours mm -hmm. uh you know so it's amazing uh ball striking when you look at the the tiny little one iron head that hogan used and him hitting 17 greens at 6900 i mean you know, they're playing courses now, 71, 73. Obviously, some are pushed push back to 74, 76, but not that big of a difference um, with that old old equipment that Hogan had. So it'd be fun to, I always said, it'd be kind of neat to take that equipment and give it to PGA Tour players and make them play a 72-hole event just to see what the, you know, what the results would be. They did that a few years ago. Brent Snedeker and I think maybe Jason Kokrak were given some of that old school equipment. I, I honestly don't think Snedeker broke 80. He played 18 holes and shot in the 80s. So, you know, not to say the guys are not great now. It's just a different game. You know, we're hitting up on the ball four to six degrees off the driver, you know, carrying it. If you're not carrying it 300, um, you're getting beat these days. So it's just a different dynamic. Obviously, the golf swings are similar when you look at a Hogan, Sneed, or Nicholas. Uh, but the way they come into impact with driver you know, is totally different with this equipment. You have to hit up on it. You know, mo all my students to gain distance with this equipment, we hit up on the driver, as you well know, I'm sure. Yeah, Lucas, how much does physical fitness play a role in it as well? I mean, you spoke about John Daly earlier. I think back to Craig Stadler, even Fuzzy Zeller. You look at guys nowadays, and they might not weigh over 215 at the most. Yeah, I mean, certainly – leading to lo like longevity look at bj Singh. i mean sam sneed was winning in his you know he, he made the cut on the pga tour i believe at 65 maybe you know so longevity you know lengthen the swing i mean i know i know people think that they can't turn and get into some of these positions but i you know i just see that day in day out that if you sequence the body correctly anyone can make improvements and create a longer backswing and a better impact dynamic to produce more speed. So, I mean, look at Bubba Watson. His arms are toothpick, you know, yeah. so he's not in he's not in the gym pumping, you know, three, benching 300 pounds, I can assure you. And he led the PGA Tour in stroke game driving 
about 10 years in a row from around 2007 or eight through like 18, I believe it was he and DJ and Rory, but Bubba led strokes game driving almost all those years and dudes, you know, tiny. Yeah. I asked you earlier about bad swings that you have seen. We're not going to yeah. name, name names there, but the best swings that you have seen, who has the best swings that you've seen and why? Uh, good question, Trey. I, you know, I like the swings that have been dominant throughout the history of the game. So when you when you think about Jack Nicholas or Mickey Wright or Ben Hogan or obviously Tiger, those are some of my favorites. Um, swings that I'm familiar with in person, I've worked with Victor Hovland, young, uh, talented player from Norway. He, I started with him when he was 16. He started sending me swings. Uh, super impressed with his game. He's been to Arkansas, trained with me. So I've seen it up close and personal. Uh, awesome ball striker, uh, Roy McElroy. Again, I've watched him a lot in person. Uh, when, when he hits balls, you stop and watch. <laughs> um, and you know, I've trained, I've trained some long drive champions, Jeff Flagg. I've worked with Jamie Sidlowski who won it back to back years. So that's a swing that maybe not a lot of your listeners have heard of, but I would you know recommend going to YouTube, look at Jamie Sidlowski cause he's not a big guy. I mean, this is all sequencing. I mean, if you look at Sidlowski, when he won the world long drive championship, he was about 160 pounds. So those are the type of swings that I enjoy looking at the outliers, the ones who aren't really supposed to be doing what they're doing. And, and you know, you've seen Rory probably in person as well. He's not a big guy, you know, he's five, five, nine, um, you know, and, and bombs it. So, uh, that those are the swings I enjoy watching, but I'd say the swings that dominate the game, if you look at Tiger, Sneed, Hogan, uh, those are all – you can't go wrong. Go to YouTube and check them out. Yeah, Lucas, I think Tiger Woods, when he hits the golf ball, just the compression, it sounds different. 100%. And, you know, we're vintage Tiger, 97 through 2001. You know, that swing, it's hard, it's hard to argue that that swing, 2001, wasn't the best of all time when he was holding all four uh, grand slams in the in the same year. No question about that. Let me ask you this. What do you start with when someone comes to you for the first time? Do you start with stance and grip? Uh, what What does Lucas Wald start with when a player comes to you for instruction? Well, we start with – I start fundamentally, Trey. We, we have dialogue before they see me in person. We, we I figure out what their goals are, what their handicap is, what their current speed is. All, all the stuff I do is very calculated. We, we take measurements. Um, I want the student to know three months in, here's where we started and here's where we're at now. So if it's a, say, just something simple like speed, we know on day one, you're swinging 100 miles an hour. Your ball speed's 150. Day 30, it's this. Day 90, it's this. So, you know, my students typically take the long approach. We, I, I have a few one-hour lessons and, uh, and that, but what I really enjoy are the ones who really look at the golf swing and learning it like the skill that it is, which is much is similar to learning a, a foreign language or a musical instrument. You don't just, you know, you don't just sit down and start playing Beethoven on day one. If you're going <laughs> to learn the piano, it's a yeah. systematic approach. And so, you know, that's what I enjoy crafting and building swings that we really see results six months down the road. I mean, uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes is people, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a day or two, but they underestimate what they can accomplish in six months or a year or two years. So that's what I preach to my students. It's like, you know, take the long approach. This is a, if you're really wanting to change your golf swing, make meaningful changes and hit the ball farther, straighter, drop your handicap, give it six months, give it a year, you know, 
and, and we will see results. So that's kind of, that's the process. Yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint. If you will, should amateurs be concerned with spin rate and ball speed? Should they know that in the back of their mind? Like they know their social security number? Yes, yes, yes. They, you know, uh, go go get fit. Go to Conway. Go go to Arkansas Golf Center. Go go to Club Champion. Go go to these places and get fit for your driver to know that you're optimized. Your launch angle, your spin rate, all that stuff's super important. Because yeah, I mean you you know with proper fitting, you can oftentimes gain ten or twelve yards right away. And then you add some uh, speed training and, and sequence training, which is what I love to do. Uh, it's a it's a home run. Importance of pre shot routine. What what is important in a in a pre-shot routine pre-shot routine mo- mostly getting your mindset in a performance state versus uh left brain thinking about too much thinking about five different pieces of the swing uh when it's time to play you know and you're putting the peg in the ground you better be more right brain more artistic more visualization and the pre-shot routine is designed to get you in that state of flow where you're more you know in a performance driven approach versus an analytical approach what are the best swing aids that are out there that you know an amateur golfer can use to practice with the short answer is they might not like this is they're all gimmicks <laughs> so <laughs> i mean so i you know what i the method i subscribe to is get away from the driving range tray get in front of mirrors you know start working on the sequence uh, in slow motion chunk it together integrate the pieces slowly, work on this stuff systematically, and then add speed. Um, The same way you would learn a foreign language or anything else, that's the way you should do it. Now, there are swing aids to increase speed. So once you've learned sort of the sequence, then, you know, there are some things that we use. Um, My buddy, John Novosel has a great product called a speed ball that we hit. It's a Velcro target provides a little resistance for uh, speed training. But as far as training just the golf swing alone, I don't know of a good swing aid that you can say, put this device on and it's going to you know, make you look like Tiger. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's no shortcut. So the, the answer is it's hard work. <laughs> and you know, it's like uh, if you put me right now in the batter's box facing a, a world-class major league pitcher throwing 95 miles per hour, I have no chance. Now, I might be able to bunt it or I might be able to stick the bat out and make contact. But I haven't put the years in developing a world-class baseball swing, right? I haven't spent years doing soft toss or hitting it off the tee or going through, you know, live pitching up to the point where I can read the spin at 95 miles per hour. So I have no chance. So I think golfers tend to jump right into the batter's box thinking that they're ready to, you know, hit 300 yards. And that's just not the case. You need to work up systematically to that. All right. Favorite golf course you've ever played? Oh, right here in Los Angeles, Riviera. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I play it quite a bit. I have a, a client that I teach a lot, a good friend and clients. And uh, I'm very, very fortunate, Trey, to be able to practice out it and play at Riviera quite a You're bit. Killing so, me. I know, You're killing I can me. See, I can, I can hear that. <laughs> I can hear that in your voice, man. I don't know. <laughs> you haven't got to play Riv yet, but LACC also those two, uh, Los Angeles Country Club and Riviera, but Riviera number one, hands down in the U.S. I think I'm I think I'm about to book a flight. I need to tell my wife. Come on out. Come on out. We'll take uh, you out there. All right. A fantasy foursome, living or deceased, you and three other players. Who would you like to play with? Ah, uh, I'm gonna put my dad in there. He's still alive. But my uh, my pop number one, 
Um, let's go Tiger. You know, Tiger. Put Tiger in there, and then um, you know, I um, the first came the first name that came to mind since he's still living right now is Jack Nicholas. Uh, I, I would say Jack Tiger, my my dad. That would be a, a dream for some playing Riviera and, at, 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 at Riviera. By the way, I have I have caddy for Gary Player. He called me on the phone. I was driving down I forty. Uh, in between Little Rock and Memphis, and Mr. Player called me. He, um, he got to play with one of my students, and he was just giving me some nice positive accolades. And I could not – I thought he was joking. And he, uh, he's like, this is Gary Player. I was like, come on. And so I pull off the interstate, the freeway there on I-40, and, and he asked me to come caddy for him. And um, that was a real treat, uh, Trey, to get the plat caddy for Mr. Player. Hell of a yeah. nice guy. And we, we in our group that day, it was Nicholas and Annika. They were playing in Houston, and I drove down. and Just a, just a real treat. Yeah, that sounds crazy. like it. All right, Lucas, how can people contact you if they want Lucas Wald to look at their swing or just maybe take lessons from Lucas? How can they contact you? And how can they find all of all of the information about you and your videos? Yeah, my, my website, Lucas Wald Golf, L-U-C-A-S-W-A-L-D, lucaswaldgolf.com. Uh, we have a pretty big following on Instagram, which is just at Wald Lucas. And then I'm on Twitter at Lucas Wald. So Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and then my website, lucaswaldgolf.com, and my email's on there. And we do online. You know, we have online stuff on the on the website, so I do a lot of uh, remote lessons as well, Trey. My special thanks to Lucas for spending some time over Zoom for that interview. Blackman Auctions. Since 1938, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. Find them on the web, blackmanauctions.com. One of our great sponsors of From the Shoregrass. We're back after this. Strength is measured not by the number of accounts. Strength is placing value on relationships. It's having the vision and the guts to invest in growth. It's the commitment to responsibly manage your money. At Stevens, we believe that our strengths build success, not only for us, but for our clients. Stevens, member NYSE, SIPC. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time Time you visit El Dorado. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. The economy is changing slowly but surely. The market is slowing down in a gradual slide. Not an emergency yet, the sky is not falling, but a change is coming. When times are good, auctions make buyers compete to buy at the highest market value. When the economy gets tough, auctions force buyers to make a purchase decision. Either way, auctions get the highest return for a seller and a strong deal for a buyer. With an experienced auction company, it's a simple process. Go to BlackmanAuctions.com for more information. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. Welcome back to this edition of From the Short Grass. On the tee with our rules segment, here's PGA Master Professional Adam Carney. Adam, we had a question a couple of episodes ago about um, options when your ball is landed uh, in a TIO that, you know, it's not marked or anything like that, but there are certain times when you can get relief from certain situations. Ground under repair is one where sometimes you get relief. You don't always have to take it, but sometimes it is mandatory that you take it. 
Can you explain those different scenarios? Ground under repair or, or an abnormal ground condition um, is is going to be an area of the golf course that uh, perhaps is under construction or they've had some loss of grass or a sinkhole or something like that. Like you've got winter kill or something. Yeah, I mean, and you might you might do something like that. Um, and a player is entitled to relief, you know, uh, following the procedures under that rule. Areas that are considered to be ground under repair or we really call them non-play areas are areas that are what we typically call environmentally sensitive. You know, back in the day when I played a little bit uh, down in Florida on some of the mini tours, we saw all kinds of areas where, you know, they, they said, hey, it's environmentally sensitive. You can't play from this area. But it wasn't fair to apply a stroke and distance penalty to the player for hitting it into that area yeah, but they um, didn't even want you to go in there and retrieve your golf that's ball correct either. and you still see that i see, see it mostly in florida yeah coastal areas and yeah under those circumstances your ball could be lost in ground under repair your ball could be lost in an immovable obstruction um, so the rules do allow for um, a situation where Okay, we, it's it's known and virtually certain that a ball went into this abnormal ground condition or an obstruction. So you're going to take the point where the ball entered and use that as your reference point for taking okay. relief under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the same would hold true for an environmentally sensitive area. You know, alternatively, the committee could make the environmentally sensitive area a penalty area if they so choose to, with, and then prohibit you from going in there to look for the golf ball. And if you take relief from ground under repair, you have to take complete relief. You cannot drop inside of the ground under repair. If you want to play the shot from ground under repair and the committee allows that, you can do that, correct? Correct. All right. If you've got a question on the rules of golf, send us an email, fromtheshortgrass at gmail.com. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.